So our text today is going to be verses 8 to 11, but we're going to read from verse 1 to 11, so that way we can do a little refresher on what's been covered in this chapter. This is the word of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also, or then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscenity, or obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. After the image of the creator, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all. Let's pray. Lord, this church is such a blessing to me. Thank you. I ask that you stay with me, give me the words that will bring glory to you, point the church to you, and that your word rests on the hearts of these people. It's in Christ I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So you heard Jason open up this chapter, uh, putting on the new self, about how you've been raised with Christ. Where seek Christ, look heavenly, not towards the things on earth. The entry to this chapter goes on to say that you've died in Christ, and Christ is your life, and you will appear in glory when he does. This letter is to the Christian, and, promise, and promises a day, one day in the future, that we will be present in his glory. Last time you heard Anthony up here, he was preaching uh, on putting away or putting to death the flesh, the early you. He talked about sexual sin, impurity, passion, idolatry. This section that we're getting ready to cover, it also includes a little bit of that. It really hits on the mortification of sin. Now, if you're the perfect Christian and you stop sinning the moment you became a Christian, then this message isn't for you. Take Sunday off. Have a good day. To the rest of us that don't lie to ourselves, let's dig in a little bit. I want you to think about who you were before Christ put a new heart in you. Don't stay there too long, because that's not who we are. But just remember, you were a descendant of Adam. You were dead in your sins. You were a child of wrath. You were walking in darkness. There was nothing, and I do truly mean nothing, that you could do to bring righteousness to yourself. You could not wash your clothes more to get the filth off of it. You could not fast harder to become more spiritual. You could not simply take an oath to never cuss and expect that this would make you a better person. Simply being a pacifist of nonviolence would not give you righteousness. These are all the things that you know to be true. It wasn't into the work of the Spirit that we received righteousness. But how? It isn't our righteousness. We couldn't do anything to cause that to happen. So then who? And I know you're asking, why am I asking all these redundant questions? 
We know where we're destined. We know that we are destined for hell before Jesus rescued us. We know that the Spirit has marked us for eternity in glory. And we know exactly whose righteousness is on us. And I believe you do know this. I mean, we're in Vegas and you're at church. This isn't cultural. But then why is Paul listing out all these sinful things to the Colossians? Because we need to be reminded. We need the gospel daily, and we need to be mortifying our flesh every day from now until resurrection of our new and perfect bodies. For anyone who doesn't know what that means, mortification is to put sin to death, to kill sin so it doesn't kill you. It means to die to the sinful person you are. John Owen wrote that believers ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. He goes on to talk about his passage and goes on to talk about this passage in Colossians and says, Mortification therefore mortify your member, or mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. To whom does Paul speak? Such as were risen with Christ, such as were dead with him, such as whose life in Christ was and who should appear with him in glory. And then he writes the quote that many of us are familiar with. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always, uh, be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Now we completely rid ourselves. Now can we completely rid ourselves of all sin this side of glory? No. But through sanctification, or the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we can grow closer. Yes, we're already found right in the eyes of God as Jesus intercedes for us. But sanctification is an already done and always occurring process. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is how the Spirit grows us. And most importantly, this is how we see God's glory and his mercy. And seeing his glory and his mercy causes us to respond. Now, I, hear, I heard something at the men's retreat that kind of stuck with me. It wasn't, it wasn't a new thought, but just as we need reminding to bring things to the forefront of our brains, I was reminded. No text in the scripture was written to me. Nowhere will you see in the Bible, Ben... Do better at sanctifying or leading your family, sacrificing for your family. Colossians was written to a particular church at a specific time and a specific place. But it was written for us. And what it has to say matters. We must take from it what was intended and apply it. This letter was written to a church of Christians, not to Colossae as a town, and Paul thought they needed to hear it. It wasn't for everyone. It wasn't a letter to evangelize to an unsaved people. It was for the people of God. So here we sit as a church, as Christians. Let's apply it. If Christ needs, if Christ need, or if Christians needed to hear this, then we should probably hear it too. We will not be. This will not be a session of me pointing out your sins, but instead calling you to follow Jesus, to respond to what he has done for us with our obedience. I hope that 
that you see his grace and his glory in this. I hope that you're convicted of sin and you commit and repent. But be most assured that if you have the Holy Spirit, you have salvation and grace. Don't walk away from this feeling guilty, but fresh, knowing that the Lord's work is complete. Today's sermon will have three points. They, will be all, they all sort of blend together and build on top of each other. Point one will be put off the flesh, and I'm just going to read through these, but I'll get back to them when we get to each point. Know who you are and act like it. We are one and new in Christ. Those are our three points. So point one, put off the flesh. Verses 8 through 9. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices. We did a Sunday school series a little while back that was about mortification, uh, mortifying the flesh, as we read through a, a book by John Owens. And if you guys missed Sunday school, man, you guys are missing out. Sunday school is a good time, and we really dug through what mortification of sin is. Anyway, I have to say it again, because mortification is something we must do daily. This letter was written to Christians. Christian, do you struggle with these sins? Let me answer. Yes, you do. I know, because I do. The very start of of this list, the very first thing listed is me. I can be an angry man. You could say it was my upbringing with an angry redneck father. You could say it was my time in the Marines. But either way, the effect of the fall has affected me. My anger will never be a righteous anger like the Lord's. And for anyone who has children, you know, they perfectly reflect your sin. They expose it, and the Lord uses it to sanctify you. I asked my sons, why don't you write me just a little bit something on these verses? I just want to see what you kind of pull out of this. So one son, he writes, verse 8, says not to talk with foul language, and verse 9 says, as a Christian, do not lie to one another. But my other son, put away all the feelings. I was like, what? What, what? Because that's his go-to emotion. If you can't be angry, what is there to feel? So this is a reflection of me a sanctifying moment for me. So I have to confess that I have not put off the flesh perfectly. I cannot write a sermon and not be convicted. This is why we need reminding daily of who we are, who we were, and how we got here. We are all guilty of anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. We've all lied. These are the sins of who we used to be. While the word for anger in Colossians 3.8 has to do with a slow boil, the word for wrath is a sudden explosion. This word points to the anger boiling over into hot action. After, or often, by the way, heated outbursts are fueled by slow anger that have nurtured instead, or, uh, nurtured instead of addressed and forgiven. The word for malice is a word that has to do with an eagerness to do harm. In general, the word means moral evil. The pattern is that as you let anger boil beneath the surface, it eventually erupts. 
as you do or say something where you are trying to do harm to others. Thus, your anger leads to more evil. You spew forth venom, wanting to sting, waiting to hurt, wanting to poison another. This can come out of your mouth just as easily as it can come out of the mouth of any creature. Next is slander. Interesting, this word, uh, the word uh, behind this word is the word for blasphemy. Blasphemy is to speak evil, untruths about God. Slander, then, is to speak things that are harmful and untrue about another person. When we offered, or when we offended by others, we often manage to speak of them in a way that paints them in the worst possible light and ourselves as the innocent victim. We are given to wanting to justify ourselves and allowing no wiggle room for others. So we slander, failing to see the hearts of other people and instead assuming the worst. Finally in the list of of this five is obscene talk and abusive speech. The word here means just what it says. God's people are to get rid of dirty or harmful speech coming out of our mouths. Paul tells us that we're not to identify ourselves by these sins we commit. We were in dirty clothes, but the Lord has exchanged them for new righteous robes. So we must work daily to respond by being Christ-like in our actions, in gratitude for what he has done for us. Paul's not saying, hey, y'all need to work to do better. You're messing up. They probably were. But this was a reminder in love to brothers and sisters in the faith. I'm not going to sit here and beat you up about how you're not doing good enough. Paul wasn't either. Paul was saying, these people are brethren in the faith. He starts the book in chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, And of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. What Paul is doing is he's he's calling them to work daily to kill that sinful nature. As a response to the things that, to Jesus taking the punishment of our sins. We can't work out our salvation through perfection. But through the spirit, we have where we respond with love that glorifies the Lord for what he has done for us. And that looks like a person who is not quarrelsome with others. If you look at this list, you can see these things that they, things that we should do. There are things that we shouldn't be doing to each other. This list is a list of wisdom to follow that we will live in harmony and fellowship with one another. The beginning of verse 9 says, Do not lie to one another. While this sounds obvious, I would like to add something here, an application. Something that don't naturally think, you don't naturally think about. Lying to one another puts up a barrier to fellowship. It keeps people from coming alongside you and walking with you in faith. When you lie and tell a brother or sister in faith that all is well and you have nothing you're struggling with, you're not allowing them to call on you or call you out on your sin. Lying prevents sanctification. You're preventing growth that could be had with your fellow church members. You're stunting your own growth in the Lord. 
This list is about walking in a pleasing manner to the Lord, but it's also about how we mature together as a body. This was Paul's desire for the church at Colossae, and also to the church at Ephesus, as we see in Ephesus 4, 15 through 16. Rather, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way, or every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We need to hear it also. So let us not lie to one another or hold anger against one another. Let us be a people that does not slander each other or have a foul mouth that could hurt the gospel. Let's be a people that display the gospel. Don't be curt to one another or harsh in our dealings, but let us see each other as who we are. Which brings me to point number two. Know who you are and act like it. Look down at verse 9 through 10. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We saw in verse 8 that Paul calls for us to put away these things. But now he's telling us to put on a new self. Both these things are being talked about like taking off dirty clothes and putting on new ones. This is an important word picture. It relays a sense of what we were and what we are to become in a way that shows us how we need to be. I think of it like this. When I was in the Marines, I would be out in the field for weeks on end, and you had very limited clothes, no showers, in the dirt, pollen all in your face, absolutely filthy. And I would come home, and the first thing I'd do is walk straight to the shower because my wife wouldn't come within 10 feet of me. I would take off my clothes... I would get myself clean. I would wash all the sweat and the dirt off my body. Why would I get out of the shower and put those clothes that stood up on their own? They had salt, dried salt lines all down them from my sweat. Why would I put those clothes back on after I've been rinsed off? This is what Paul's saying. No, what I do is I get out and I go find the softest, nicest pair of pajamas so I could go to bed you would be insane to go back. This is what is being said here. You once were a people of the world, but now that you're in Christ, take off the worldly flesh and put on his righteous, his righteousness, his garments. So who are we? Let me give you a few quotes. John Calvin says, of who we were and are, The old man is whatever we bring from our mother's womb and whatever we are by nature. It is called the old man because we were first born in Adam and afterwards are born again through Christ. Thomas Goodwin says, There are but two men that are seen standing before God, Adam and Jesus Christ. And these two men have all other men hanging at their girdles. So who, are we that are, so who are we that we must know our identity? Well, the verse tells us, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We were in Adam, full of sin, but we are made new in the image of God. Let that sink in for a minute. 
There are Christians in this room today who are beating themselves up for not being holy enough, for not being good enough to deserve the love of the triune God. You're guilty of the lists of sins that are mentioned in this text, and you feel the weight of it. You're angry, quick to cut someone with your words or lie to save face. But Christian, you are an image bearer of God. God did not save you because you deserved it. He saved you because before the foundation of the earth, he made a promise to bring you to his kingdom despite you, for his glory. This is your identity. You are an image bearer of God, saved through faith and grace alone. Take rest in this, Christian, and then respond to this undeserving grace in kind. Mortify who you were and grow every day to emulate him. Who are you? You are a citizen of the eternal kingdom. Wearing a robe of righteousness brought by the man that paid in blood. When you fail to live up to this list, know that that sin that you failed with has already been pinned to that cross. It is not who you are. Your sin is not what defines you because Christian or because Christ is what defines you. And he owns you lock, stock, and barrel. You are not defined or identified by your sins. That sin, sin you have, he knew before you were created. Don't identify with it any longer, because then you'd be identifying an Adam. Repent daily because we must, and we know he has done the work. This list is to the Christian to respond to, not a list that is a bar that you must pass. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've not heard the gospel, then hear this. You too are made in the image of God, but your identity is not in Christ. You're still in Adam. You're still a slave to your sin. You can't respond to love and grace that God hasn't given. You are dead. But this grace is free. Come before the Lord in humbleness. Know what he did. The Father sent the Son to die for all who believe that your sins, whatever they may be, can be forgiven. And then he was resurrected and ascended to the throne that you may wear his perfect righteousness until we are resurrected as citizens of his kingdom. This is for you. Come to the Lord, you image bearer, and repent of your sins. Believe in him. Respond by following He made you to glorify him. Will it be suffering his wrath or by responding to his love and submitting yourself to him? Point number three. We are one and new in Christ. Now, if our identity is in Christ and Christ is the king, and we are citizens of that kingdom, then it is necessary for Paul to remind us that we are one body. Look at verse 11. Here, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, 
free, but Christ is all and in all. This is important to remember. There are two races in this world, those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Christ died so that a people from all nations could be saved. We cannot and should not ever separate out peoples into some, some ethnic, but rather in the promise. We're not American Christians, Ethiopian Christians, or Japanese Christians. Rather, we are Christians, one body without distinction. In his commentary, author William Hendrickson writes, Now this glorious progressive transformation into the image of God recognizes no racial racial, religious, cultural, or social boundaries. This is imperative. More than one thing is being covered in the statement. There is no race in the church but Christian. For we fell short of the glory of God, and we are all saved by the same act and cleansed by that same blood. Our culture is now Christ. And our economic standard has no bearing on entrance into heaven. Our snobbery, bigotry, and chauvinism is condemned in this one verse. If this makes you uncomfortable, I apologize. I didn't write the Bible. The Bible is the inspired word of God. Take it up with him. The God who made all people in his image. Paul compiles a list of types of people here to show what was going on at the time, so let's consider each one. Between Jew and Greek, that's the I'm from Abraham and you're not argument. I'm circumcised and you're not. That's the I did the work and, well, you're unclean. The term barbarian was used to refer to a stupid, unsophisticated person. I'm standing up here. It was applied by Greeks to those who could not speak their language. They said the foreigners just said, bar, bar, bar. And this is where the term barbarian came from. Scythians were the lowest class of barbarians. Slave and free denotes the difference in social classes. Workers versus employers. Poor versus rich. Uneducated versus educated. All these are the kinds of class differences in view here. Paul says that such distinctions do not fit your new life. This passage ends with Christ is all and in all. If Christ made all things, then all things belong to him. He gets to tell us who we are and what our purpose is. He chose a people before time. He made no distinctions based on our judgment. It was his choice who he saved. He is the great equalizer. And we cannot compare ourselves to each other in the presence of the eternal, glorious, and righteousness of God. Leave here knowing that whoever you are, or wherever you are, in your walk with Christ, he saved us all the same way. For all our sins, and his work is finished. No man, not even yourself, can pull you away from his saving grace. So I'd like to conclude with a reading from 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 12. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, 
long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord, that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. Behold, I am lying in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobey the word and they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim his excellency, or proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiled, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Lord, as always, it is an honor to read your word and present your word. I pray that it rests on the hearts of the fellows that believe. I pray that if there's someone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, Lord, that you, you drive them to you. You put in them a faith that makes them run to you, Lord. All more revealing your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.